Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. This week's show is going to be a bit different because I've had a lot of people asking why the podcast is changing from being just about the Sydney Uni Flames to looking at the WNBL, women's basketball and women's sports. See, we started Shooting the Breeze last year when COVID hit to keep content going out to Flames fans because there was nothing happening. The truth is that pretty much all sports had shut down and at that stage, no one knew if there was going to be a season, when it would happen, where it would happen, or even what the season would end up looking like. So by starting the podcast, it gave us a chance to talk to a lot of the interesting people you know, that we've met. But as the season moved along and went to Queensland, the hub launched, it gave us an opportunity to start thinking about things that have been on our minds about the league and basketball. And that's when we decided to change direction. So before I get into the changes and you know some of the things that we want to talk about on the podcast over this series, I think it's probably important for us to talk about where we're coming from. We've been producing sports content for nearly a decade. And look, the truth is it's been an incredible journey. It's engaged us, our kids, friends, family, and even business associates. Our kids who both play have been inspired by the people they've met. The stories we've heard, the insights we've learned have led us to producing Shooting the Breeze. We want to engage with the fans. We want to feature these inspiring players and their journeys, talk about things that we think could improve different facets of the game and its community. First and foremost, we're fans, and we have been for a long time. We first started watching the Flames when the team originally moved to the Entertainment Centre. The Flames were the first game of the night, and we always tried to catch those games. And in those days, look, the truth is, they were definitely the game to watch, and that's an opinion that's been shared by a lot of people from back then. We had some great players in that period, the early 90s. I mean, Robin Maher, Michelle Timms, uh, my daughter, Michelle Landon. They were really, really, they were feisty. They didn't give up. And in a lot of ways, they were more successful. Well, they, they won the titles before the Sydney Kings did. I mean, Sydney Kings didn't uh, win any titles until the mid-2000s, but, you know, they won in 93. We fast forward a little bit to the beginning of the 2012-13 season, we were asked if we'd be interested in shooting game film for the team. On those days when the ABC were televising the games from Brydon's, we got a chance to shoot footage around the game of the fans, the players warming up, the bench activity during the game, and getting that footage up on social media for the Flames community. From there, we started doing a lot more of the social media, including player introductions, having players interview each other, highlights, and much more, including the retirement announcement for players like Belinda Snell, live streaming games from Brydon Stadium during that period where the ABC had left, but before Fox Sports had come on board. And finally, we've been providing the streamed feeds to Fox Sports and KO over the last few years. In that time, we've met amazing athletes, astounding coaches, incredible sponsors who've supported the team for many years, and best of all, the fantastic fans that the club has. But as I said, the hub season got us asking a lot of questions, and I suppose having the time away from you know the hectic regular schedule gave us an opportunity to step back and look at all the things we wanted to talk about when it came to the WNBL and women's basketball. 
one of the big questions that came up for us was that as one of the best leagues in the world, how have we got to the point where in 1989 there were 13 teams in the league and now there's only eight? Particularly given there are so many registered basketball players nationally. That led to the next question, which was, whatever happened to those clubs? Did they just fold or did they move to a different league and why? We also started to wonder about how does the WNBL grow and engage with the grassroots fans who don't seem to be engaging with it? Why aren't we getting bigger crowds? Also, the other question that came up for us, and this one's a bit of a big one from our point of view, why is it that the Premier Australian Women's Basketball League only has two female head coaches? And obviously there's a lot more. So that's why we decided to change the focus of shooting the breeze. We also want to engage you and the wider community from the grassroots all the way up to elite competition level. And as fans, your input is really valuable to us. So join us on this journey. If you've got any questions or suggestions, send them through to questions at shootingthebreeze.media or on Twitter and Facebook at The Breeze Pod. Before we get into previous interviews we've done in this series, I want to talk about something that relates to fan engagement and why there seems to be a bit of a disconnect. I'm going to call this piece Vlad the Dad. A few weeks ago, my daughter was at training. A dad, Vlad obviously, and his daughter arrived a little late. He sat down next to me and we started talking. He asked a lot of questions about clubs, holiday camps, skills training, and associations. Now, I suggest that he should, you know, have a look for for the Flames holiday camps because it would give his daughter a chance to learn from the professional athletes. And I know what sort of an inspiration those camps have been for my, my daughters. And that's when he asked me, who are the Flames? That really surprised me. I was wondering, how does someone with a daughter that plays not know the Flames? I told him they were the only WNBL team in New South Wales. And straight away, he came back to me with the follow-up question, which was, what's the WNBL? And he left after training. And I thought, okay, maybe this is a one-off thing. But then a couple of weeks later, I was talking to another parent and they didn't know about the WNBL or the Flames either. So that got me to thinking that maybe there was a bigger issue about recognition of the league to the wider basketball community. But I wasn't really sure why that would be the case. Then on the day that the Opals uh, squad was announced for the 2021 Olympics, my wife had taken our daughter to team practice, and she got to talking to some of the other parents. Some of them didn't know the Opals had been announced that day, and one of them thought the Opals was the Australian netball team. And that really got me asking, why is it that so many different people aren't aware of clubs, the league, or even the national team? Because if they don't know about the league, then they're not going to know about the teams, and we're not going to get them coming to games. The WNBL needs families to come to games. Families engaging means kids will talk to their friends, and then that will attract more people. Why does the WNBL have such a low cut-through in the sporting landscape? I'm not really sure what the answer to this question is. It's something that we want to come back and revisit, but if you want to join this conversation, remember, send them through to questions at shootingthebreeze.media or on Twitter and Facebook, at The Breeze Pod. In episode 31, our wide-ranging conversation with Christy Collier-Hill, 
General Manager of the Deakin Melbourne Boomers, touches on the WNBL hub experience, post-COVID fan attendance, broadcast and issues affecting the financial stability of the league. Christy gives us an insight into the anticipated salary cap, which was officially announced just a few weeks later. It sort of creates an arms race situation where if you don't have the funding to be able to go and buy a first class roster, it makes it very hard for you to be in that top four, which also makes it very hard for you to engage with your local fan base. The reality is nobody wants to go and watch a team that's constantly losing. How do we counter that as a sport to be able to keep the games running, keep the excitement levels up, but also make sure that we've got the financial stability? Mm. I mean, it's a really good question. And, uh, you know, you only had to have a look at some of the teams last season and we're not going to name any names, but there were, uh, there's probably one in particular that, that was fairly stacked and look, who knows what their budget was for players. But when you looked at Team 1 v Team 8 in the league last season and it's a league without imports, Gee whiz, it was chalk and cheese. And, you know, there were games that were being won by 50 points, which is just mm. shouldn't happen in a league with eight teams. It's that the gap was too far and it creates disconnect and it creates disappointment. And even if you are a supporter of, you know, the top team, you know, it's not great viewing to watch a team win against another team by 50 points. You know, there's, there's no excitement in that. You know, you look at things like, we'll talk about, you know, perhaps salary cap. Salary caps are brought into leagues to level out the playing field a bit. And I know at the moment that Basketball Australia and the Players Association are in discussions about what that might look like for the season ahead. Highly likely that something will be put in place. There's no formal information on that just yet. But the reason for that would be to level it out a little bit. We can't just have the teams with the deepest pockets buying rosters that will win championships. Yeah, it's a uh, an approach that's probably, I think, started off with the SEQ stars when they mm-hmm. first came in. There was a lot of money spent to buy the roster. Yep. It was pretty successful in that first season, to a point. And I think one of the biggest issues from my perspective is that if I put my business hat on, it makes a league with only eight teams financially less stable and also less potential for growth because if you look at and I'm look I'm not picking on you but <laughs> if I look at it just a few years ago Boleyn were ready to hand back yes the license to the league and then an investment group came in and said no 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 we'll do this and okay the club's gone from strength to strength since then but for businessmen to be able to come in and invest in the league They want to have some level of certainty about what are we going to be spending to be competitive? What's the budget going to be? Because the great unknown in any sport is it's always the roster cost. And I really hate saying this because I think the players are so woefully underpaid Mm -hmm. for the quality of a player that they are. I think for a medium term, some sort of a salary cap has to come in because if it's in and it's stable and the quality of the play stays the same then I think you'll be able to attract more business people to invest in the league and invest in clubs, not only in existing clubs, but potentially additional clubs. Yeah, you couldn't be more on the money. I couldn't agree more. It is about financial sustainability. And like you, I think, you know, I would love to see player salaries double and triple over the next, you know, five to 10 years, and they're deservedly so. But right now, the reality is that clubs don't have money to double and 
triples those salaries either. So it's not a scenario where we're limiting salaries of players. That's definitely not the case. But as you say, the introduction of a of a salary cap certainly does provide more financial sustainability. It does level out the playing field. It does make the league more exciting and enticing for people to be involved. I think you nailed it. In episode 32, we were proud to have Opals and Phoenix Mercury head coach Sandy Brondello join us and share about her basketball journey, the state of play for women's coaches in the WNBA, and an insight into her thinking for the direction she anticipates for the Opals. The Olympic squad was announced in late May, and you can only imagine the difficulty in narrowing it down to the final 12 in an exceptionally talented pool. You've played in the WNBL, and in Europe, the WNBA medaled in the Olympics, World Championships. You've got a great view of the game as a whole. How do you see the different playing styles that various regions have, and how does that make your job as a coach for the Opals more difficult when it comes to adjusting our game style to stay competitive against these different styles of play? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, as a coach, when I'm planning what my other, obviously, assistants choosing the team, it's more about we need versatility. Because as you said, the styles are all different around the world. The the African teams, you know, obviously very fast and aggressive. And obviously USA, we know the, you know, the best talent everywhere. You know, Europe, just the different styles. And then Japan, um, you know, that's been, you know, they're a tough style because of the way that they can shoot and they spend so much time together and they're very athletic. So I think the, the way I adapt, you know, I'm, we're trying to be the best team that we can be. And it's not always necessarily the best 12 players, to be quite honest, because when you, you know, the core group's there, but you have the players that round out, like, do we have enough athleticism? Do we have enough playmaking? Do we enough shooting that we can put lineups on the floor that can adapt to any kind of style. But at the same time, we really try and worry about ourselves to be the best team that we can be at both ends of the floor because other teams have to worry about us as well. So there's a little bit, you want to make sure you have the right, you know, diversity or the versatility that you have in your team that you can go from one game playing Japan when you probably have to do a little bit more switching to combat their shooting to playing, you know, obviously, you know, the Spain and just a little bit different styles with their aggressiveness. So, you know, but in the end, what's the best team that's going to help us win a medal? I, you know, I, I'm mindful of the different approaches. That goes into the planning and in selecting that final team. In episode 33, we caught up with down-to-earth Sydney WNBL champion Lauren Nicholson, who unfortunately just missed out on being named to the final Olympic squad after what was an absolute cracker of a hub season playing for Townsville, a season where she ended up coming second only to Liz Cambridge in points scored. We get an insight into what Loz enjoys off-court, which is working with kids. She also shares her thoughts on the critical need and timeliness to get more girls playing basketball in order to grow the sport and the fan base. I think it's going to be great for basketball. The fact that there's it's basically Olympics, WNBL season, World Cup, WNBL season. It's going to be an amazing you know, 18 months of basketball. What do you think we, and when I say we, people involved in basketball, can do off what's coming to try and help grow interest in in the sport and more particularly in women's basketball? Oh, I think just the biggest one is, you know, getting kids and juniors to want to play the sport, especially female basketball. I think, you know, it kind of dropped off for a little bit there. But if we can grow it now and try and get the grassroots up and coming, knowing that 
there is some really exciting uh, things coming up in basketball to be watching, to aspire to be like. I think this is the perfect time to try and get out there and um, get as many juniors invested and involved in the game. Looking at that, what do you think WNBL clubs can do? And particularly, like Townsville particularly, because you kind of like, it's heartland stuff up there. The Townsville fans are absolutely rusted on fans. They're not, they're not going anywhere else. What can be done in places like Townsville to really raise the profile of the sport? Because the other thing is, it's also rugby league heartland up there as well. So how do you make that work? Well, I think just getting people involved in whatever way it might be, you know, getting out to schools or running clinics. It's just anything really, you know, like even posting continuously on social media these days helps to grow sports. But yeah, it is, it's a rugby league town, but I'll tell you what, it's also a basketball town up there. They love it. (laughs) Um, But I actually do find that it's a lot of older people that love their basketball up there. So um, I think, yeah, it, it's also time to help the juniors get involved and, yeah, really get out there and grow it in the community. Yeah, because you wouldn't have had an opportunity to do anything in the way of school visits or clinics last year at all. No, I think we uh, did a couple in the preseason. Um, but, yeah, we had no time, which was a shame. So it'll be nice. It'll be really nice to have five, six months, however long it is, and be able to do those things and um, get a lot more people to the games. Not that we didn't already have a lot, but um, get even more and, yeah, and hopefully just get kids playing. In episode 34, Lee Gooding, General Manager of Wheelchair Basketball, joins us to talk about the vast array of wheelchair programs across Australia, along with some exciting new developments in Victoria and New South Wales. He also touches on the ever-present challenge of rising above the noise of so many other sports in the able-bodied space. Lee also discusses the challenges for Australian wheelchair basketball players to stay abreast of their international competitors. He also tells us about the unbelievable opportunities for young girls in wheelchair basketball. So any listeners that know anyone who'd be interested in giving it a try, make sure to pass this on. A lot of people may not be aware of how big wheelchair basketball is in Australia. Could you give us a sense of how many people are playing and uh, how many organisations are involved across the country? Yeah, look, it's a tough one, um, but there's plenty. I mean, I was up in um, Queensland, up in Brisbane, only three weeks ago for the Queensland Classics, and they're able to run their state-based competitions, and they had about 16 to 20 teams come into Brisbane uh, for a tournament up there for wheelchair basketball, mainly seniors. There's a few kids pushing around in those teams as well. but um, And they were down probably about 60% of their, their teams uh, due to wow. COVID. But um, those sort of competitions take place around the country and Victoria's obviously got its um, sort of state competition which takes place out at Kilsyth once a week on a Wednesday. I know WA's got their own competition which happens quite regularly. New South Wales is kicking off a new competition linked to their Waratah League. So there's the New South Wales Waratah League. They're going to have eight new club teams um, spread throughout New South Wales. There's 35 new players who who have registered for that competition alone at the moment. The expressions of interest are still open for that one. And I can I can run through the teams if that helps a little bit, but they're the Blacktown Storm. Uh, Canberra Gunners, Central 
Coast Crusaders, the Hills Hornets, uh, Illawarra Hawks, MacArthur Heat, Newcastle Hunters and Sutherland Sharks. So it will start as an eight-team competition. It's a sporting New South Wales Waratah League and um, it's a great initiative partnership between wheelchair sports New South Wales uh, and basketball New South Wales to get this off the ground. And they're looking at, well, in total, six weekends. It's going to be four what they're calling central venue rounds across July and August, and then they'll have two finals weekends in August and September. Okay. So obviously one of the biggest issues for wheelchair basketball is the ability to be able to get the message out there. Mm-hmm. Basketball particularly has had a tough time of it uh, with COVID like everybody else mm-hmm. in terms of notifying people what's going on, how it's happening, what's happening. How can people help wheelchair basketball raise its profile? Oh, gosh, I, I guess it's sort of just talking about the good things that are happening, you know, and telling the stories around the country of, of what they're doing and what's going on. All the different states are doing different things and some of them are really great initiatives and obviously with the Paralympics and, and you know, an Olympics on this year, there's so many good stories around that, whether it's individuals or teams or what have you. There's another good one in Victoria where they've just started up their state development program. So, these state development programs have been running for the able-bod underage 16s, 18s kids for many, many years. They actually included the wheelchair basketball kids for the very first time in May, 22nd of May, Pendigo Basketball. So they've started a wheelchair program now within that program, so alongside the able-bod kids. They've got another one coming up on the Saturday, the 28th of August at Bendigo Stadium. So it's just about building the programs within each state and then, you know, hopefully those states, whether it's Basketball Victoria, Basketball New South Wales or Basketball Queensland, as an example, telling those stories, whether it's through social media, websites, those sorts of things. And Because there is a lot of good things going on and we haven't been great for many years, I guess, telling those stories around what those teams are doing or what those individuals are doing. Um, and I think once you get into the melting pot of basketball, which is... Uh, so busy and there's so many teams whether around the Olympic, Paralympic and the NBL and WNBL and the different state leagues, you know, it's sort of um, hard to get a look in sometimes with, with so much going on. Thanks for listening to our playback. Head over to each of these episodes to hear so much more from these amazing individuals that contribute to basketball. Leave us a review so we can continue to grow the podcast. Send us a message if there's anyone you'd like to hear on the show. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.